expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Well, we have reached that pinnacle, the 150th episode of the Down and Nerdy podcast, and it's one of those times where, you know, you almost just can't help but get nostalgic. Well, not only that, but this week was also Valentine's Day, so what the fuck did you get me? You didn't give me shit this week, you motherfucker. What, the the whole, you know, the, the Cupid outfit thing, that, that wasn't enough? That was supposed to stay private and not hit the fucking airwaves, you asshole. <laughs> Well, God, but, but that happens every Thursday at our office. <laughs> I did that for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is why nobody wants to work for us. Man, that, because that because all of our all of our interviews end up being on Thursdays, and you know it's it's very casual Thursday, and that's what happens. Yeah, I hear you know you're, you're the master of dad jokes and everything. So let's see, I'm single. This week was Valentine's Day, and I'm a gamer. So does that does that make me a single player? Oh yes, it does. <laughs> one <laughs> one quarter only. <laughs> well, I, so what you're saying? I'm cheap. I, you only guy only costs a quarter of the play. Is that what you're saying? Well, hey, I mean, there's that's nothing. Not necessarily. Not, anything, not know, necessarily James, anything wrong with that. No, James. After 150 episodes, I'm not just some cheap cabinet. You can just stick quarters in. You know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> By the way, I am James with him alongside. The still wearing a diaper and wings, Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. No, every time I hear the word diaper now, I cringe. Right? <laughs> ever since you, ever since I became a father, I hear the word diaper and I go, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> every time. I expect a box of chocolates in my fucking mailbox, asshole, by the end of the week. All right, I'll talk to Forrest Gump and get right on that. All right. <laughs> I'll, have him, I'll have him run him right over. This is the weirdest intro I think we've ever done. It really has. I mean, but you think back to some of the, the stuff that we've done oh, over God. 150 episodes. Is there anything non-interview related that you could think of as a moment that you'll kind of never forget that, that would happen on the show? Everything that happened in the first episode. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a good thing, folks. No. No, no. I mean, 150 episodes, you know... The thing is, it's, it's just, it's amazing to reach that. Like, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, we don't, not, we didn't expect to get to this point. And that's the fact of the matter is it's like, yeah, we kind of still don't, didn't, because it's just a lot of work that has to go into the show. But I mean, you look over all the interviews and again, all those things we didn't talk, we talked about that weren't interview related. We were just pretty much just doing straight up main topics. I mean, you know, you have your Mount Rushmore's, your Mount Dooms, if you will, as well, in terms of super villains and, I mean, you know, talk about trendy nerds and everything else like that. I mean, it's just it's hard to believe to go like to go back and listen to like those those past shows and just see the things we talked about. It's it's quite yeah. amazing. I mean, we've co- we've covered a lot of stuff in 150 episodes, and I mean, you take some chances and you talk. We've talked about some serious stuff. We've had plenty of fun on the show. I mean, we've even ha- even had some stuff that didn't make the show that we will probably never discuss in public. That's been pretty great and pretty funny. Right. As a matter of fact, right. there was one that made the show that I will never forget though, that I still think is funny to this day. It was the end of the show. We're wrapping the show. Yeah. And for and some reason, oh, I know what it was. for some reason you could not say your own name. Yeah. <laughs> you just could oh. not do it. 
It was like I think it, I don't think it was my old name. It, it was, was your it, Twitter it, handle. It was my Twitter handle. Right. Like because this is before this is before I was at Merck with one arm. I think it was like it was at Nick Pataglia twenty five. It was my old Twitter handle, and I just could not for the life of me, you know, fucking say my name correctly. And it was pissed. I was getting so pissed. There is one moment in the show that did not make the show. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what it is. It's hilarious. It's it, it's to give you an idea. It surrounds Luke Cage, and I'll just say that. Yeah, it was it was really really funny, and we'll never make the show in a million years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not in a million years. The right. reason we kept your that one of yours in the show is, that, you know, that that's when you and I were editing the show together. Yeah, and we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, that's really funny. Yeah, Maybe we should just leave it there. <laughs> and we did, yeah. and and we got a really good response from it, so it worked out. And then, of course, I took over editing duties, and we just, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, when I'm editing the show together, and I'm just, like, there are little times where I will play back certain jokes that you and I make or inter- interview certain lines or jokes that our guests make, and I will literally rewind that, like, about five times and really listen to them and laugh over and over again. Like, I mean, it's just that joy of – I mean, you can do the same thing when it's up on our website, downnerdypodcast.com. But, I mean, when you're just editing it and you're just like – even there's those points where I'm like, ah, should I cut this joke? Should I not? I'm listening to it five times. I'm like, well, let's say I laugh four out of five. So, yeah, it's in there. There you go. Yeah, and, I mean, for anybody that's just finding this show for the first time, I mean, welcome aboard. Like Nick said, you can always go back and listen to past episodes. Or maybe you just want to keep moving forward with us. Either way, I mean, without you guys – there's no this. There wouldn't be 150 episodes and so on and so forth. You know some I mean? of my favorite, well, some of my favorite memories from, I, I think they still have them today. Some of my favorite parts of the show is when we're doing what we're reading and you cannot, for the life of you, say a person's name. Oh, gosh. You know, I think I'm not going to have that problem this week. I hope I won't. I hope I don't. I, I mean, I can't. And, you know, part of me is like, should I just read books, names that I can pronounce in the show so I don't look like an idiot? But now it's become such a thing on the show that I almost do the exact opposite. I'm like, oh, there's no way there I'm wouldn't be. That. It would surprise me if like people made bingo boards or placed bets. Of, like, is he like James fucks up a name, or is he, or is he gonna, or like ten to one odds James fucks up the name or something, yeah, or four is, to one. Yeah, is there is there a Vegas side bet somewhere about whether or not I'm gonna be able to pronounce a certain name? Like when somebody sees, oh, they're gonna have to review Lego Batman this week. I bet he's not gonna be able to say this particular name from the cast or something like that. I'm wondering if that actually gets discussed now. Well, a bet that always gets made, of course, is what happens after this segment. Of course, it's what we're reading. Let's come up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Dennis Hopeless, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We stash away the box of chocolates. We pull out our long boxes, and we discuss what we're reading this week. By the way, that was not sexual in tone, by the way. <laughs> I hope you <laughs> <discovered> that. <laughs> I just realized what I just said. <laughs> the week I said it on. But anyways, you know, this is... We've been doing this segment for about 150 episodes now, and, you know, James, this is one of those weeks where I literally don't know what the fuck you're reviewing this week. Yeah, and I love it when that happens. We used to do that on purpose, by the way, but um, not this time. We usually tell each other, but now I just decided to go with the Vertigo title, something brand new from Vertigo, actually, called The Wild Storm. It's actually written by Warren Ellis. His name's kind of been in the nerd news the past couple weeks. Artist is John Davis Hunt, colors by Ivan Placenia. And letters by Simon Boland. Four names. Boom. In the box. Okay. 
So congratulations, you can read. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, challenging sometimes. And enunciate words. Yeah, it's, it's very very challenging for me sometimes. But um, this is very much what it's. I wasn't sure what to expect from this book going in because I usually read the descriptions. I didn't for this one because I wanted to go in and I was like, oh, Warren Ellis. So I, I haven't done a Warren Ellis book in a while. So basically, we're living in a world. It's almost like it looks like it's a futuristic society, but it really isn't. It's right. more of a modern society, but there are things going on that don't go on in our modern, modern society like uh, genetic modifications uh, that people can do themselves and hidden corporations that are corrupt. I mean, corrupt corporations. Gee, where have we heard that before? There's there's a whole lot of that going on, it seems like, all the time in the modern world. But there's this one character in here who's a little bit, let's just say, eccentric. And okay. She, you know how if you want to get something from your boss, you kind of try and go through the proper channels, right? Right, right. Well, well this woman named Angie tried to go through the proper channels, and she didn't. So she sees her boss kind of having lunch with his husband at a coffee shop. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to sit down and talk to you about all the things that you need to know. And let's just say there was something about her appearance that catches their eye. And they're kind of like, okay, we're not really going to listen to you anymore. Now, what happens in the middle of this book to her? Pretty surprising. And you kind of understand why she was saying what she was saying, but you didn't realize why she was saying it at the time. And you very much find out why. And basically, there are these two rival companies. And one of them very much has more going on than it sa- than they say they are. And one of the heads of the other company has more going on with him than you think he does. But I will say that one one reveal in this in this book, one of the pieces of art in here, very much looks like District 9 meets Predator. Oh, cool. So it was very interesting, and I don't know if that was done on purpose, but either way, I mean, bravo, because it looks really cool. And there are also things that will remind you of other shows and movies that you watch, but this is, it's not part of that universe, but you say, oh, that reminds me of this, and that reminds me of that kind of thing. So it's just a very neat story because it brings in our world and other worlds in a way. That's as much as I can really say without kind of spoiling what happens in the book. And... The way that these rivals are coming at each other in such a secretive way, it's very, very interesting. And that's one thing that Warren Ellis does really well in general, is he brings that intrigue in. Right. It makes you think, okay, well, what's going on with this person? What's going on with that person? And then he gives you just a little bit. He gives you this little bit and says, oh, so here's a little bit of what's going on with this person. And that's why this is going on over here. So it's the the, the thing that I like about this book is it's the little things. Mm-hmm. that really kind of gets you going. And then you find out that there, that this Angie woman is this cog that you didn't expect to be a cog in this whole story. What I like about Warren Ellis' writing, as you just mentioned, is that he makes everybody matter in the book. Like he'll, yep. And he also adds, as you said, that level of intrigue where everybody like, oh, this person, this is what's happening with them on the side and stuff like that, or why they're acting this way. And he does a, a wonderful job. Now, I haven't read this series, but he does, you know, from the past things I've read from him, he does a wonderful job of just making you care about not just really the people, but the universe itself, what's going on within this world itself. He make, he does a wonderful job with that. Not only that, but I mean, the one of the things that I thought was actually good about this book, because you know how when you're reading something, you're like, okay, there's your good guy, there's your bad guy, and here's your key, here are your key players. Right. I'm reading this book, and I'm going, at the end, I was like, okay, so who am I supposed to hate? But see, you know what I mean? <laughs> but see, that's the thing with Warren's writing, is that he does it to where... It's not so clearly black and white who who is who in here. It's a nice little shell game of like 
with each issue, with each story, a little bit more is going to be released. It's kind of like, if you really think about it, it's kind of like the movie Clue, mm-hmm. where like it could be this person, it could be that person, here's been the motive for this person, why they did it. And then as the thing goes on, you're like, oh, it's revealed that this is the real bad person right here. This is the real evildoer here, you know? Right, exactly. And I gotta, I'll gotta, i be honest, I wasn't that very familiar with John Davis Hunt's work before this book. And i got to tell you, do you know how there are certain artists that are just made for certain publishers? Yeah. John Davis Hunt is made for the Vertigo imprint. I mean, he really is. There's this grittiness to the way he does his art, and there are certain... I'll call them action scenes because that's the best way I can really describe it well, I, without I think that, telling you what's going on. Well, I think that you can describe action scenes by also, like, the way I describe them in comics is, like, if there's, like, multiple panels, like, more than four or five panels of just action, it's an action scene. Let me put it this way. The, the panels that matter have just such good, incredible detail. Not saying that the others don't, but you could tell extra care was given to certain pages and certain panels. Like, okay, this needs to stand out, and it definitely does. And, man, just overall, I, I'm really, really intrigued by this book. And it's I think this is going to be a pull for me going going forward. Well, you know, I stayed in, with DC as well, except I didn't do Vertigo. I stayed with the main DC logo this week, and I decided, you know what? A really interesting team-up that's been teased a while if you've read both Batman and Superman has been that of Superboy and Robin talking about Damian Wayne. And so you have these young kids, and then it's announced, hey, guess what, everybody? Peter J. Tomasi is going to be writing a story about these two as a team called Super Sons. And I did that's what I did this week, Super Sons number one. Of course, as I mentioned, Peter J. Tomasi is the person behind the – well, laptop or pencil, if you will, in terms of the story and the <laughs> you script. You never really know anymore, do you? You never know anymore. It could be a typewriter, like Colin. Who knows? Uh, Jorge Jimenez is the artist on this. Alejandro Sanchez does the colors, and Rob Lee does the lettering. And this, pretty much, without getting too spoilery, because this again, this is kind of like an issue where you don't want to go too deep into explaining what happens. But let's just say, Damien is keeping an eye on john and ah, okay he's keeping an eye on him saying hey you know he has these you have these powers let's not go to bed early let's be superheroes and it pretty much pretty much this whole issue this whole first issue deals with is of course you have that rough bond you know damien that is like come on you know you're you're a kryptonian you have all these powers let's go you know save the world let's go do whatever, you know, and help people out in a sense, you know, and, and go on these missions. But John, of course, is like, you know, he's this country boy trying, you know, he's a wholesome, I want to do what's right kind of thing, and, and maybe we shouldn't do this. So it's kind of like, you know, a budding of heads in there for this first issue. One thing Peter does really well with this dialogue and this issue is that he makes you sympathetic to both John and Rob. You see both their points of view, I should say. Okay. And so, so it's not like, oh, I'm on John's side, you know, Superboy's side, the entire issue, or I'm, you know, or John's being a bitch. I'm, you know, I'm on D- Damien's side, the entire issue, you know, or Damien's an asshole, you know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm on Superboy's side. They have their certain niches, if you will, of where you're like, you know, I can see where Damien's coming from, I can see where John's coming from, but where this story ends on this cliffhanger, if you will, it's one of those things where, again, going back to Peter's writing. In the back of your mind, in the back of my mind when I'm reading this first issue, the one thing is, 
oh my god, what's going to happen if they get caught? What's going to happen mm-hmm. if Superman and Batman, who are their fathers, catches them? You know. So in the back of your mind, there's that danger of like, oh my god, what happens? You know, how is Batman going to react? How is Clark Kent going to react? Who knows? You know, because the thing is, is that you see that parallel between the parenting of Clark Kent and Lois Lane and Bruce Wayne. You know, where Bruce is more of like. You didn't do your studies, you know, because because Damien's homeschooled, so it's like you didn't do your yep. studies. You're not going on a mission, and he just drives off, and Damien's just like, finally, we're alone, kind of thing, you know. And then you have John, who is like, you have the scene of him right in the ne- very next panel of him and his family playing cards. Mm-hmm. Clark Kent is giving him this, you know, you did the right thing, John, in terms of something that happens in the book in terms of a bully. It's like you did the right thing, and it's like two different ideologies you're getting. And it's a really beautiful mixture of the two and they don't and the beautiful part about this too is when you see stuff like that it's not like so like you're being pulled quickly in one direction or the other you're not being yanked it's like a nice mixing if you will nice melding of the two ideologies in terms of the art if you've been reading superman you know and and just the dc rebirth line in general it's pretty much like that i want to say i would say if you're reading if you're reading a book from a dc rebirth if you've been reading superman the art is pretty much similar to that, uh, and it's really good art. It's really, really fascinating art, and there are certain things where, you know, I want to say that a great, great thing that Jimenez does is he does a great job getting the reactions in this book. Which is you key look, to a book like this, I would right. say. Right, and I mean, there's terms of times like where you see John wanting to stick up for a friend of his, and you see that look on his face of like, oh my god, you know. And that, again, when you see the way that Jorge does his facial feature in terms of annoyance and anger, part of you thinks, is he going to use his powers? Is he going to, you know, is his are his eyes going to light up in the next panel? So it brings that nice intrigue. And the way this, again, I love this book because the way that this first issue ends is is like. Oh shit! What's gonna happen if Bat- when Batman and Superman find out, or if mm-hmm. they find out? And it's it presents a nice evenness to these two characters, this, this team. If you would not really want to call them a team, they're just more of like two boys who are adolescents and they're just trying to. It's kind of a coming of age story, really, as well, because you're dealing with these ages that they are. Because you know, Damien's thirteen and John, I believe, is around the same age, if not a little bit younger. Overall, man, this is a definite pull for me. The art, I love it. The I love the balance of families. You're seeing a nice family angle between the two, Bat, you know, the Bruce Wayne family and the Kent family, and you're seeing those two different ideologies and raising. And I got to tell you, man, part of me is just like, I hate living in the country, but I'm like, you know, I would love to have Lois Lane and, and Clark Kent as my parents. Yeah, I mean, that would be a pretty good uh, parenting team, I think. And I think it's funny that now we're going to carry this sort of dynamic that Batman and Superman have always had to the next generation now. I love how that's kind of going forward. Right. Finding out that, yeah, you're your father's sons after all. Now, there was one thing to keep in mind going forward in this book, though, because I I hadn't read this book yet either. But remember, there's not as much history between this Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne as there was before. We have to remember that. So it's not like they've got all these years of history, and if something happens, we can go, ah, well, you know, it's okay, these are our sons, you know? And you you say that for people who don't know that this is a Clark Kent and Lois Lane from a different 
Earth. Like right. this is if a different missed, universe. If you missed the whole rebirth thing and you're just jumping in now. Right. That was part of what happened remember, prior to rebirth. Because remember, their or this their Superman died, and so yep. they can't use Clark Kent, and Lois Lane. They have to use alter egos like yep. Lois Lane. She's right. She has to use a surname and, or, and stuff like that, you know, or an alias, I should say, mm-hmm. and it's vice versa. So it's really interesting going forward. But again, this is a definite pull for me. DC is just literally, literally killing it with this. And I kind of hoped, and one actually, I actually something I was hoping for. I'm like, you know, I'm looking at their suits. I'm like, they're such so different. Like Robin's is so much more professional looking. Mm-hmm. You know, John's like he's got a shirt and he's got a pair of jeans. But part of me's kind of like. You know, I really wish Superboy would get a different suit later on in the series. I'm like, you know what? I like that, though. I like that he yeah. is this, you know, kind of has this homegrown look to him in terms of his suit. And Robin is more, you know, my dad's Bruce Wayne. So, of course, I'm going to have this nice-looking suit and everything else. It's so country boy, that. city boy, yeah. Yeah, I, I really, really like that. But coming up next, we're going to stick with Batman, but we're going to go more the Lego route. A review of the Lego Batman movie is coming up next. Yeah, this is Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I think it's safe to say that ever since the Lego movie a couple years ago, this is something we've been looking forward to for a long, long time. Yes, the Brick Knight finally gets his own spinoff. It is the Lego Batman movie, and I don't know about you, Nick, but right off the bat, as I'm thinking of it, um, I think somebody else might have stole the show. I think Robin stole the show. I will say this: what I did, what I love about the movie is that it was very self-aware of itself. Like there are lots of in jokes, yep. a lot of you know, even from the opening credits where he's like, you know, DC, the the company that Batman built, you know, and stuff like that. He's like, you know, suck it, Superman, and stuff. And, you know, so it's like it's it's a it's a movie that there are certain jokes, certain lines where it's very well aware. Like I love that they really do point out that, yeah, outside of Sir Peel and Batman's rogue gallery, you have, like, Polka Dot Man yeah, and yeah. and Condiment King, like, like these, really, these villains that you're just like, they can't be serious. And, like, yeah. oh, wait, those are real, real villains. Yep. You know, it's just, it, it certain things like that, you know. But I will say this. While watching this movie, now, mind you, the movie theater I saw this in was, I saw this uh, actually on Valentine's Day, and the theater I saw it in had six people in it. Yeah, I, we didn't have a whole lot of people in our theater either. But when a lot of the lines were being said, there were times where I did laugh out loud, but a lot of the jokes, I'm like, I, there was not a laugh in the theater, including myself. And part of me, when I'm watching, I don't know if you saw this, but part of me even thought this, even when I saw the trailer for the Ninjago movie, I think that actually teetered this. I felt like this was a movie that you would see go straight to DVD. You know, it's funny you say that because I understand that, you know, the Not production because... value was greater and all that stuff. But well, there have been so many Lego movies that go to DVD that have been good. That's, and that's why. Yeah. It's, it's not that it's a bad movie. I like the movie. It's just that there's so many Lego movies that go to DVD and you have the Lego dimensions in terms of the games and everything else like that. You're like, this just feels like, you know, I kind of like, to be honest... This felt like when I watched Turbo, a Power Rangers movie, after the Power Rangers movie, and you're like, the production value, it looks like you're just watching a, uh, an extended version of the show, you know? You know, and, and it's funny because there were times where I, I, we didn't have a whole lot of people in our theater either. We went and saw it a little bit later on in the night, and that's probably has something to do with it. But there were times where I was the only one laughing, and not because what, what was said wasn't funny, but it was like a 
You've got to be a comic book fan to laugh at oh, this yeah. joke. Oh, and you I, have and, to be a Batman and then fan I to look know this And stuff. then I look around at people not laughing, and I'm like, aw, come on. But that's the thing, like, like when Alvin's pointing out, you know, you did the same thing back in this year and this year and this year, and then that weird thing in the 60s, you know? Yeah, like, and it's, exactly. And it, like, I like that. I like that this really was a movie where you really, you know, again, it's really self-aware of itself. It's not afraid to make fun of itself. And, and it's, I love, like, for example, I love the fact that they literally, they, like, if you've read Batman or even just seen the movies, like, Joker has a legit hard-on for Batman. And yep. I'm glad that they brought that yes, out. Yes, like, they did. I, I'm glad that they pointed out, like, yeah, Joker's kind of gay for Batman. <laughs> yes, they you know? very much did. And he just wants to be acknowledged. That's all it is. And, you know, it's funny, though, because they brought out the whole we-need-each-other aspect, kind of like they did in the, in the Dark Knight Returns, but in a right. very, very different and humorous way. Right, right. And I think Zach Galifianakis did a wonderful job of voicing the Joker. Oh, uh, and, you know, again, it was just that, that different side. And, you know, I love, like I said, DC making fun of themselves. I love that when they're, they're – this is spoiler-filled, of course, by the way, this review. But I love the scene where you have all those – I think this is where I liked about the, the, them being in a Lego universe that you can use, like, the gremlins and you can use Sauron, all these people yep. you expect to see in the Batman movie. And then Batman just goes, like, you know, he needs to have a team. And they're saying, Batman, you need to have a team. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, have a team of bad guys fight the bad guys? It's like, that's making yeah. fun of Suicide Squad. Yep. You know? Like, it's like, that's a dumb idea. And it's just, it's stuff like that that I like that really brought the humor out. And I want to go back to your point about Robin. Yeah, he, I think for the most part, did steal the show from Batman. Like, Batman had a lot of funny lines. But Robin, like, the way that he was portraying this is fucking hilarious. Not only that, but, and, and I thought the joke would get old, but it really didn't. Every time he ripped his pants off, right. I laughed every time because it wasn't calculated either. It was just very random that he would just rip his pants off. I'm like, this is still funny. That's good. And the way that Michael Sarah delivers the lines as Robin and that whole innocence of, are you going to adopt me thing? And earlier on in the movie, I'm like, this just works as the as him being the very much the the young fawning uh, kid after his dad. You know, like I want to be just like dad, and I want a family, and all that stuff like that. The way he delivered those lines as as having this overly appreciative vibe about him the entire time, I think is one of the things that made it funny and made it work. Well, what was great about it is that you have Will Arnett, who of course voices Batman, this, and he's very stern. You know, he's literally all about himself. He is nothing yeah. but blocks of ego, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then you have this sweet, innocent orphan in Dick Grayson and the way that Michael Sarah plays him and voices him. And it's just a two polar opposites of each other. And you're like, this is why this works. This is why, you know, Dick Grayson, you didn't have Dick Grayson be that whatever, man. You know, you're not yep. my father. You know, you're just somebody who took me in or just because you're Bruce Wayne, you want, you know, to look good or whatever. But he's like this sweet, innocent kid. And you're like, you can't help but be in awe of that, and like, and you feel like this is a real, real, you know. I think of all the Batman movies, this is really, truly, the beginning of the Bat family. Yeah, like yeah. it was just so g- genuine and sincere. And I love that the way Ray Fiennes played Alfred too. Where oh he was my god! Like the get over yourself, Alfred, which I really like, especially when you said like, like the way that Will Arnett portrays Batman in these very much all about himself. And then you've got Alfred going, get over yourself. Or like when he locks him out of the back computer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was really, really great. So, and the way he pushes him for family. And I think that was the underlying theme of the movie that you almost kind of didn't expect was the, 
you're afraid to have a family kind of thing. I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, are we getting serious here? But, you know, to talk about somebody who steals a spotlight, I mean, Robin did, of course, but I think Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon did mm-hmm. a phenomenal job because I'm not going to lie, dude. But when I was sitting in that theater, she's in her point out, like, why is Batman bad? She's like, well, he does this, 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 and this. And you're like, oh, my God, Batman beats the shit out of crazy and poor people. Oh, my God. Oh, how have, been, have, how have I been rooting for him for so long? Oh, my God. Like, the way they break it down, like, he attacks crazy people. He, you know, he, or, or, you know, he doesn't capture people. He just, you know, and brings them to Arkham. He just captures them and lets them go, and he just continues to beat up poor people who people who are crazy. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> well, he mean, I mean, they just keep escaping. That's Still, not the problem. If you think about the people he literally fights and punches and beats up, they're poor people and they're crazy people. They're people with mental illness. Well, they're only poor until they rob a bank, and then they're not poor, and then you can beat them up. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, again, you want to talk about a movie that's just self-aware of itself, and it does a really fine job of that. However, I will say that there are moments of the movie, and I'm not sure why it is, it just lagged for me. It definitely lagged, yeah. And it felt like, okay, you can wrap it up here and just, or okay, why is this in here? And I think that, and I, I mean, I'm trying to find some negatives to this movie. I'm not being nitpicky, but I think the fact that just because it drags, a lot of jokes for me didn't land. I think the fact that it didn't land because I think if I had seen this in a theater with a lot more people, like a full theater of people who knew not everybody has to know what's about Batman and comics, but if you yeah. saw this like, with a group of friends or whatever, and you know, if you're like, for example, if you're in a group of like five people and three are laughing, you're gonna laugh too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's part of it. Like if I was watching this with a girl or like on a date or something like that, and you know, if she was laughing, I would laugh too. Not because I want to be the guy and like laugh what she laughs at, but I think it's just having that person to bounce laughter off of or yeah. like. Oh, this is funny, you know, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and I think that part of the thing, and I will agree that some of the jokes didn't land, but I think part of it was, when you talk about it dragging, I think that some of the problem was is that some of the jokes were just set up for so long, and then when you right. finally got to the punchline, you either you already saw it coming, you were like, well, that didn't seem worth it. Or, or part of it kind of felt like, really... This movie was just built upon jokes and not a lot of story, really, outside Although, of what Joker wants to do. Yeah, so it's I will say like, I like... So I it's like, kind of like... So it's like rapid-fire jokes, you Yeah, know? I will say I do like the fact that the story, again, spoiler-filled, I do like the fact that G- Joker wants to get himself purposely thrown into the Phantom Zone. I thought that was kind of neat. Right. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that was interesting, because literally... That brought up an interesting part with me when I'm watching this. He's talking about, I want to be banished to the Phantom Zone. I'm like... Well, there's only Superman villains there, right? Or DC villains. And all of a sudden, you see, again, you see Sauron. You see the Gremlins. Yeah. You see Godzilla. Voldemort, yeah. <laughs> Voldemort and, like, you know, King Kong and all these people. And you're like, oh, that's right. This is a Lego movie. So you have all these characters yep. from the Lego universe. Yep. And it just goes to show, holy shit, Lego's got a lot of characters. Yeah, Jesus Christ. But, but that's just <laughs> the thing, too. But, but, but therein lies the problem, too, because we've already seen the Lego movie. Right, and then I think that you can't help but kind of draw a back and forth comparison yeah. to the yeah. Lego Movie, and then you're like, "Well, was this better than the Lego Movie? I don't think so." Well, again, you and you and when you watch the Ninjago trailer, you know, is played before the movie, and you're looking at the Ninjago trailer, and I'm like, and I'm like, um, this feels like 
the Return of the Jedi of the Lego movies, and it could be a great movie, but again, it's just one of those things where it's like... shouldn't be in the theater. It shouldn't be in the theater, exactly. I, I, that's how I felt, you know, with with Batman. I'm like, okay, this is cool and stuff like that. Because the thing, the reason why I felt like, okay, this is going to be a Batman movie that you should see in the theaters, because remember the first story that came out about what's it going to be about? It's be about him being a failed musician and stuff yeah. like that. So going into this, I'm like, oh, this is going to be about him being a musician and trying to be, you know, hardcore and in the beatboxing and rapping and metal and whatever everything else. But no, it's just, it just turns out to be a regular Batman movie just set with a lot of Lego characters. So I'm kind of like, that kind of took a little bit away from me. If you want to, you know, away from the grain or, get, or whatever, however you want to phrase it, and it was want to be totally different than just any other Batman movie, you want to have certain, like, you know, tie-ins, like, references of Batman from the past or what have you, that's fine. But, it, it, you know, I think the fact that this isn't really an original movie. No, and I think part of the problem was is that... It was kind of geared towards that a little bit, I felt, when stuff yeah. was I, th- I think there was time wasted on like how Robin comes with you know get, comes to live with Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon being the new commissioner. I thought that that was time wasted. I thought I thought if everybody was already established and they could just get to it and get to whatever the movie was going to be about, even if it was about what it was about, because I don't see any problem with what they did. Although I do agree with you that it just seems weird that they decided to s- completely scrap that idea. I guess if it was ever an idea, I don't know, but. It just seems like you're right in a way that they wasted a lot of time doing some setup stuff that you either already knew or, or didn't really need to know. And then what they gave us was a traditional Batman type movie, which was funny with more characters in it. Yeah, and again, but going to some of the good, back to some of the good things in this, though, I like the fact that. I mean, some of the music in this I felt was kind of. It wasn't catchy, but it was kind of like. It was fun, I found. And, and I mean, it's not like. Everything is awesome level, but no. I but I mean you go back to the Lego movie and you draw those kind of parallels and you're like, the Lego movie deserved to be in theaters because you're like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to take Legos, put and make them a, a movie that, that makes them, you care about them, yeah. makes care about the viewers, and they do so many different things. I think also because you look at the cast they had too, it was just these all star cast of people to voice these things, and I think also because the Lego reason why the Lego movie works is because. Outside of the Lego Batman movie, it's there's no restrictions on story. Whereas with Batman, you know, as much as I wanted to be about him being a musician and stuff like that, and how it was kind of teased that's going to be, it comes down to like, well, this still is going to take place in Gotham City. This is still a Batman movie, even though it's in the Lego universe. So really, the Lego movie had more arms length. They could they could more room to stretch right. its arms out and do more things, you know. And then if you did do the field musician thing. Or the struggling musician thing. It's like, okay, well, how do you squeeze that into the a regular Batman universe? Like you said, it's obviously in Gotham. So how do you make this make sense for an hour and a half? Right. I'm not sure. Maybe they maybe they were like, well, maybe we can't do that for an hour and a half. And, and maybe, and the, you know, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm like, okay, maybe it was a smart thing to make this kind of, uh, kind of a regular Batman movie, if you will, because, again, it's kind of a women. He is Bruce Wayne. He is rich. Why do you just start his own record label and self-publish himself? Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, I think that what's getting lost in our in our translation here is that this is the most irregular of regular Batman oh, movies God, that's yeah. ever like, been done. So don't, oh, yeah. don't, don't, don't mistake, don't think that that's not, that that's what we're saying. This is definitely the most irregular of every regular Batman movie that's ever been made, and you're right. I thought I love the fact that they make fun of will, everything that precedes it too. I will say this: one thing I did love about this movie is 
is that they didn't do what the Lego Movie did and show that it's just like a kid playing with toys. Like they yeah. were Will Ferrell and his son. You know, they take it out into the real universe, into the real world. I'm glad they kept it within this Lego universe. Yeah, but you know what? This also tells me you can't do another one. You no. cannot do another Lego Batman movie. You just can't do it because it's not going to make sense. As much as I yes, don't, it was entertaining, I, I don't see how you do another one. I don't think they will. I mean, I know it's doing well at the box office. I think what they're going to do is that you're seeing Ninjago happen. You're going to we're getting, of course, the second Lego Batman Lego movie. We're getting the second Lego movie. I think that Lego is from now on. I think they're going to look at branching out and doing like like we might see a bionic movie or something like that. who knows where you know what I'm saying but but does but, this make you is this make you a little bit worried for the second lego movie now though it no it does not it makes me more worried that lego is going to to um, put DVD quality movies into the theaters when it shouldn't right, be. And there's okay. nothing wrong with that either because we were, my son and I were watching one that was on Cartoon Network that have previously been on, on DVD and now they show some of them on Cartoon Network now and it was a DC uh, Lego movie and we're, and he was getting interested in it so we started watching I'm like, this is pretty good. Yeah. You know? So yeah. It, what's wrong with that? Right, and we're not saying that like, Again, this is not a bad movie. I, we both, I would say, we both like the, the Lego Batman movie. But there are just certain movies you see, like when you're walking through a Walmart or a store or an Fye or whatever, and you're and you're like, oh, this is a Lego movie. Yeah, I can see that this is going to DVD. Like, yeah. there's, you know, what I'm saying, like that's what we're getting at. So it's just the one thing we worry about is I want I want to put words in your mouth, James, but. I worry that Lego is going to get too big for itself. That they're going to say, yeah. you know what, we're Lego. We can make hundreds of millions of dollars in these movies. We're just going to throw out whatever, you know? Well, like you said, should the Lego movie have been in theaters? Absolutely. For oh, a absolutely. lot of different reasons. But right. this one, I, I agree with you. I don't know that this is a movie that needed to be in theaters other than you have to be able to pay all of the voice and actors that's the thing. that you got. To, and that's and the so thing. you need feature film money, but... And that's the thing, you know, before we get to our ratings, is if they had tried to go to a DVD route, could they have gotten the Will Arnett's, the Rosario Dawson, stuff like that to a sign out for this? A couple of them, maybe, but not all of them. Right, right. So, let, you know, we talked about the movie in depth. We talked about the good things, the bad things. So let's give our ratings. And I've, I'll go first this week. So I like the fact, again, I like the fact that this is a, a movie that's not fair to be self-deprecating, that it's a movie that's also aware of what it is. You know, and they, there's a lot of, again, if you're somebody who doesn't know a lot about Batman, there's going to be times you're going to, they're going to look at like the whole thing with the villains, like Polka Dot Man and, you know, King Sphinx and everything else like that. And you're like, wait, those are real villains? And yes, God damn it, they are real villains in the Batman universe. But then there are times where having that comic book mind really does pay off. Like the whole Suicide Squad joke, you're going to, you would miss that if you didn't understand, you know, don't know what Suicide Squad was. If you didn't see the movie or anything else like that, I just read the comics. And there's just certain other jokes where you might miss, and it's easy to miss them because, you know, even if you do, if you are somebody like us who read comics daily, there are such rapid fire jokes, and they're being shot so fast, being spoken so fast, you can miss a few of them. I think it's going to cause people to go back to the theaters because it's like, well, I missed that joke. You know, I want to go back and hear that. Overall, though, when it got to around the middle to close to the third act, I felt it went a little bit too long. I felt that the pacing was a little bit off. It was slowed down a bit uh, just by some unnecessary things. But overall, I, I enjoyed this. It's not a bad movie. And going back to the whole DVD concept, it's not a bad movie. It's just one of those movies where if it, went to, if it was a movie that went to DVD or it was just like, you know, we're going to do Lego Batman, but it's going to be a DVD movie, and, you know, then that'd be fine. I'd, I'd be like, I wouldn't be offended by that at all. Overall, I would give this 
eight out of ten beatboxing Batmans. All right, I think that that's a fair rating. I will say that right off the bat, I think you could have cut 20 minutes from this movie and it would have been absolutely fine. There were times where it dragged quite a bit and and you know, and some of the jokes just took way too long to set up and sometimes like I said when they did, the the payoff wasn't there. And I can't I couldn't help but constantly say to myself, was this as good as the Lego movie? And again, no, it wasn't. As a matter of fact, anytime you go to a movie, I think especially when nowadays when you're dropping a good you know, 30 to 50 bucks on a movie or you want to walk out and feel like at least production value wise, you got your money's worth out of that. And I think that what Nick said earlier is a very valid point. This is a movie that could have easily gone to DVD. I mean, I think that I enjoy the DC uh, animated universe movies kind of just as much for the most part as I did with this movie, but that doesn't mean it wasn't funny. There were a lot of funny parts and there were a lot of nice callbacks to, to older stuff. There were a lot of jokes that were just for us comic book fans. There were plenty of jokes for everybody else, plenty of jokes for kids and adults alike. So, I mean, and the portrayals by the cast, Will Arnett, Michael Sarah, especially that we were talking about before, I think is definitely to be, to be commended as well. There was just something I feel like we, that I wanted more from this movie than I actually got, but at the same time, I still did enjoy it, so I'm going to go ahead and give it 7 Lobsters Thermidor out of 10. And that's going to do it for our review of the Lego Batman movie, but coming up next, it's Nerd News. Stay tuned. My name is Bo Smith. I'm the creator of Winona Earth, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, everybody, we're about to dive into some nerd news right now. Before we do, I want to, or James and I actually want to, Discuss a story we're not going to be talking about this week, and of course deals with PewDiePie. Now, as we all know, there was some controversy that surrounds him this week, and it involved a few videos he made, and some anti-Semitic remarks that were made in those videos, and some imagery as well. And the reason why James and I are not discussing it this week is because we have not seen the videos that have been referenced in the Wall Street Journal article because they have been pulled. The only things we can go off of is just Disney moving away from him and YouTube uh, stopping his, I guess, his premium show that they do. Uh, and the reason why James and I are going to be talking about this week, and James can attest to this as well, is because there's not, without having seen those videos, without having the real context and just going on certain articles, uh, we feel that we cannot properly cover this story properly. Yeah, and um, we want to be very clear that we do not condone any sort of hate speech of any kind, whether it be anti-Semitic or, or anything else even even similar to that. Um, and in order to talk about this properly, we kind of feel like in order to do it justice, we need to see the source because we always like to be very, very thorough. And that's all this is about is about being thorough. So without seeing it, in context and seeing it for ourselves, we feel like we cannot give our personal opinions to the story. And that's what we like to give to you guys every week. We like to give you our personal takes on things, but we can only really do that if we can absorb the content for ourselves. We don't really want to do this as a secondhand thing. It's not like saying, hey, here's who might direct this movie. This is serious business. So we, we don't feel comfortable talking about this because we cannot actually speak on the actual videos themselves. Right. Just really quickly, as James said, you know, we don't condone speech of any of that matter here on the show or in our lives at all. But it's just a matter of getting that context and really just being informed. Like, yeah. like you know, we've read the articles that have written, but we feel that without seeing the reasons why this has happened – and, you know, and we've 
I will say this. I've seen clips of things, but I haven't seen the full videos. I think right. without seeing the videos in their full form and say, okay, this is why, you know, this has happened and stuff like that. And really, again, divulge deep into it. So that's why we're going to talk about this week. But without further ado, let's get to the stories that we are talking about this week. Let's start off, James, with some DC news with Bane. Because Bane has been pretty much at the forefront of Tom King's Batman storyline as part of pretty much a main villain, in a sense, for this whole run that's been going on lately. And we found out this week that he's going to be getting his own 12-part series. Yeah, it's going to be very, very cool. Now, this is going to be coming out, I believe it's in May. And yes. What's great is, is that Dixon and Nolan are back. And they're going to be a part of this series. So two of the co-creators of Bane, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan, are going to be a part of this 12-issue series, which I think is absolutely great. And I mean, think about it. Next year is the 25th anniversary of Bane's first appearance. Right. So that's very, it's very cool timing. I mean, obviously I don't want them to wait until next year to do this. I'm glad it's coming out this year, but it's going to be 25 years since Batman Ventures of Bane, the one-shot, his first appearance. So I think... Look at what DC is doing. They want to do a Raven comic, so they went and got Marv Wolfman. So right, and now, that, yeah, now you're doing Bane, and look what they're doing. I mean, you look at DC and what they're doing. You know, in terms of opposite of Marvel, Marvel saying everybody's getting an ongoing series. They're saying we wanted to do a deep dive into these characters, into Raven, into Bane, or just do some different stories outside of like their main runs. But let's make them limited. There's no reason to make an ongoing series. Let's give them, as we said, with the whole Rebirth thing when it first started, you know, hey, 6 to 12 issues, that's perfect, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, if you're going to give somebody a series like this, I think Bane's the perfect character. I mean, the way Bane was created to be not just a physical but a cerebral villain for Batman. Yep. I think other than Joker, Batman's greatest foe has well, been Bane. I mean, James, you look at the image of Bane breaking Batman's back. That is an image that is solidified in the minds of a lot of comic fans. I think it's one of those popular images, and really in all comics. I label it probably top five moments in comics is Bane breaking Batman's back. I mean, I'm sure Kelly Jones would agree, uh, so I don't yeah. have any argument there, but it totally is. And I mean, just, just that thought alone of, you know, who could put Batman on the shelf like that, and Bane is... Really the one that was able to do that. So I think getting to dive more into this character that I think that we've gotten bits and pieces, but we've never really gotten a true, the true, true ability to dive into Bane just by himself. And we don't really know all of the details of this series. Of course, this is an exclusive on uh, comic book resources. We don't know all the details just yet. They have released a little bit of art. So it'll be really interesting to see exactly how they're going to dive into this and how much of this is going to be a true Bane story because when they did the Raven book, again, they allowed this to be a Raven story and they and they and Nolan did say to CBR, this is going to be, quote, an ultimate Bane adventure. So hopefully it does stay true to that. And not only that, I'm looking at the art right now. I like the way that they have Bane's look is that, you know, it's the full-on luchador style. I mean, his nose is exposed. Like, it's really like, you want to talk about luchador masks? That's, like, the look they have. I like it because he doesn't have all these numerous tubes. He has just one tube going into a gauntlet, and that's it, you know. So, I mean, it's really, really awesome to see. I kind of get some 90s comic book, you know, illustration vibes from this, which is awesome as well. But, I mean, that... If that, that look of his mask and it looks like a burning god of some city, if that's like the cover for issue one, holy shit. Well, I mean, since since 
Bane was created in the 90s, it's almost like, a, hey, go with right. what you know. Go with what right. you know and let, right. let it be a true adaptation. And I think that do, in doing that, it's just going to make fans love it even more. So that's why I'm completely psyched for this. And, Bane, of course, Bane Conquest is actually set to debut May 3rd. That's what's going to be hitting your comic book shelves and digital retailers. But staying within the DC realm, James, going more towards the movie realms, and we said this over and over again, how we're like the only two guys, the only two people who really like Suicide Squad and... You know, it made millions and hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide. It was a financial success for Warner Brothers. So, of course, a sequel is being made. Now, David Ayer, of course, is doing Gotham City Sirens. So he's a little tied up at the moment. So they're looking for a new director. And when I texted you this person's name, you're like, I have no, you literally said, I have no words for this. So my thing is, when you found out that Mel Gibson has had talks, he has confirmed that he has talked with Warner Brothers about working on as director for Suicide Squad 2, have you finally found the words to say about this? Well, first, let's just get this out of the way, the fact that this was reported by The Hollywood Reporter and to a greater extent variety when we get a little bit more into this story. Um, when I first saw this, you're right, I had no words. And I've had a chance to sit down and process this a little bit. And my first, my initial reaction was, is Warner Brothers thinking, you know... The fact that Suicide Squad is probably the most crazy manic property that DC has. Who is the most batshit crazy dude that we could get to direct this movie? Right. And then, and then somebody in the room said, oh, what about Mel Gibson? Everyone laughed and then it went silent. Somebody said, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I think that the reason why Mel Gibson, I think, is more being in the talks now to direct this is because... Of his film Hacksaw Ridge, which has gotten Oscar nominations and stuff like that. So he's, you know, and also some of his other previous work as well in the director's chair. Yeah, so I mean, he's directed Braveheart. I mean, of Passion right. of Christ, stuff like that. It's not like he's now, a, that's now the thing. I, he's not a bad director. No, so no, I get will. That out of the way. Now, I will say this. The reason why I was more shocked that they're thinking about Mel Gibson and they're having talks with him about directing is because he's publicly said, you know, Batman Superman versus Superman was a piece of shit. Now, I've, I'm in that camp as well. I know some people aren't. I know other, others are. But he's kind of gone on the record and, like, bashed superhero films, but he's talked about at the same time, like, oh, I loved, you know, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man. So it's kind of like, what's his real thinking? I think that, you know, when he was at the premiere, I believe, for Hacksaw Ridge, he talked about how, you know, he, in a sense didn't see how a movie like a superhero movie could cost like $180 million or whatever. And he's like, you know, I couldn't see myself directing any of those types of films with spandex heroes. I want to focus on ones of real heroes and stuff like that. So that's kind of why it strikes me because it's kind of been a guy, he's been a guy who was kind of like, okay, he's kind of coming up against super out against big summer blockbusters and superhero movies. But then at the same time, talk about how he's enjoyed some as well. So really, it's kind of hard to get his ideas and his take on them, you know? Right, and like you were saying at that Q&A, he did kind of say that it's it's very much in a first date stage. That was that was his exact words that he said. It was kind of like a first date. So while this is not a sure thing, maybe it's their way of saying, because you're right, he has been very outspoken, but maybe this is DC's way of saying, okay, hot shot, then you show us how you want to do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You want to give him a chance. I think it could be interesting. I think that Suicide Squad's an interesting choice, but again, who's who had Suicide Squad? Rick Flag, right? So that I mean, he's got some military movie experience. I and think stuff like that. So it's not totally crazy. 
Well, I think that when you look at a guy like Gibson, just the work that he's done for the most part's been like he's done, he's tackled topics and just movies that are really I mean you talk about Braveheart and stuff like that, so really kind of grounded. So mm-hmm. you know, Suicide Squad's a very not grounded property. So in a sense, it's kind of like. Maybe Gibson can find the balance to, to, you know, to maybe, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's so unhinged and everything else like that. And it's like maybe he can find a way to lower that. But again, as you said, it's like, okay, how would you do this then? And again, they're talking to other directors as well. But nevertheless, you hear the name Mel Gibson directing a DC movie. Uh, it, it's bound to get your attention. Yeah, with all due respect to Ruben Fleischer, Daniel Espinosa, and Jonathan Levine. Uh, you see the name Mel Gibson. Everybody knows that name. Sorry, no disrespect to those guys because those are the other ones on the short list, apparently, according to Variety. But Mel Gibson's the name that stands out, and and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, I, you know, I, I kind of made that joke in the beginning, but seriously, it's not like you know, based on Hacksaw Ridge and on Braveheart, which I know was twenty plus years ago. I get that, but this guy has success. As a director, I get that he starred in Braveheart too. That didn't hurt him. But this guy's had success in things that he's done in the director's chair. So let's not dismiss this entirely. And I mean, put if you have personal feelings against Mel Gibson, that's fine too. But I think, you know, you push those aside and you look at his work as a director. And if you want these movies to be successful, I think we all want all of these movies to be successful. Maybe it's maybe it's time to take this seriously. Yeah, yeah and I think it's going to be interesting to see, I, of course... Suicide Squad 2, I believe, was not was not going to come out for like another two, three years, I would say, maybe three, oh, yeah. four. I mean, DC has been known to literally move their slate around, push things back, move things up, and you know, swap things around. So we'll see where it lands. And our final story, James, goes to the streaming side. It goes to Netflix. And, of course, you know, for a while, we've been kind of sending each other pictures of like Stranger Things, pop figures, and stuff like that. And Netflix apparently is getting more serious when it comes to stuff like that and the toys and merchandising and stuff yeah and this all kind of popped up because of a a job posting on their website when they were looking for a director licensing and merchandise people that would oversee licensing of netflix owned properties and then we were talking books comics toys collectibles even down to the soundtracks and the shirts and stuff like that i think netflix is getting tired of seeing people on amazon and stuff making money off of right. the shirts for their property so i mean when we were talking about this off the air you were saying and i think you hit the nail right on the head that it's been a very snail's pace yeah for netflix and i think that the catalyst in all of this was stranger things because i think netflix kind of woke up and said why the hell aren't we doing a stranger things comic book well, I think that you look at something like Stranger Things, and I know Netflix, of course, has the Marvel series. But you look outside the Marvel series and really look out stra- outside of Stranger Things, like Peaky Blinders. Like, do you imagine a Peaky Blinders set of toys or a game or, or a House of Cards game, you know, or whatever? Yeah. Like, be- but before then, you couldn't really imagine that because you're like, oh, these are just shows that are on Netflix and original content. But now yeah. you bring in the Stranger Things, you're like – okay, we can do a Stranger Things comic book. We can do a Stranger Things board game or a House of Cards board game or something like that, you know, with the original content. And, again, I think it's also, as you said, them wanting to take kind of control. We, I don't know if, how much control they have in, you know, the Funko lines or stuff like that. 
but maybe there maybe it's a way for them to also maybe get more profit out of it as well because it is their stuff. It is you know so maybe it's, it's kind of like that that they want to just again as you said kind of uh, take more control over their own stuff in its in, in terms. And it allows you to make things on your own. I think that's the biggest thing. It's it's like why would we go to this person or that person when we can do this ourselves? I mean, when it comes to stuff like Funko. Funko does their thing. You got to go through them. I mean, Marvel goes through them. DC goes through them. So if you want that certain line, you have to go through. But what it allows Netflix to do is it allows them to partner with someone with their rights. So that's the other thing because you need that and you need point people to be able to do that. So in order to partner with certain people to make these things, especially comics. Now, do they want to launch their own publishing arm like Legendary did? And Legendary has their own has their own comics now, or is this something where they're going to want to say, okay, we have these rights, and we'll maybe we'll partner up with, let's say, Dark Horse or IDW right. or something like that. But this, I will would give them the power to do that. You know, going off the going outside the nerd realm, since we're just talking about Netflix as a whole, I'm a huge fan of Orange Is the New Black. So I mean, if you want to do like a comic series through Dark Horse or whomever for Orange Is the New Black, I would be all for that because yeah, I think that that would, would really be awesome. You yeah, know? you could definitely do that. And I mean, think about it. What if they had a Telltale uh, House of Cards game? That would be pretty interesting. Actually. You could do you could do that. I mean, these are things that you could do. And like you said, we, we've talked about this numerous times about how much. Netflix is now going to focus on their original content. Well, and remember, you can't, you can't go on Netflix anymore without seeing a new original series or movie pop up. And remember, too, I know this isn't really original content, but you have Castle, we had the Castlevania story that came out last week as well. So, I mean, hey, maybe it's as a way for them to kind of build and string those relationships with a Capcom or whomever, you know, or Nintendo or whomever, right? You know, in the future, you know, the makers of Voltron, maybe it's, you know, it's a way, I think, for them to say, hey, we want to, you know, we are your entity, you know, for Voltron, stuff like that now. We mm-hmm. want to help the company that's behind Voltron make some money. So let's, you know, have our own line of stuff and, right. and, and everything, you know. Who knows? Voltron soap on the rope. I don't fucking know. <laughs> you never know. But, I mean, it all boils down to how much of whatever property is Netflix's. You know what I mean? Like, how much of Voltron is owned by Netflix? How much of Danger Mouse is owned by Netflix now? Because you could purchase rights to things, but it is is it? Did they purchase the sole rights, distribution rights? I mean, what exactly did they purchase w- within the rights? And did they think that far ahead when you get things like a series of unfortunate events and things like that? Did you, did they think that far ahead of possibly doing something like this? Obviously, books is out the window for something like that. But, you know, everything else. And is it because it's theirs, because it was made by Netflix? Does that mean that as long as it's the things that they did, they can market that? I don't know. So it'll be very interesting to see what the idiosyncrasies are and what the what the nuts and bolts of this is actually going to be. And honestly, where they start with this, because it has to have a beginning somewhere. Well, James, we actually have some breaking news right now. We actually just got, we actually just got an email from DC. And I just want to say this. If you love Looney Tunes and you love DC Comics, holy shit, you're going to love what they're doing now. Well, here's the deal. All the email says is stay tuned, okay? And what it has is images of DC characters and Looney Tunes characters together. And dude, I mean, I know I, we'll, we'll, we'll save Batman, but... 
Here's some of the funky ones. You've got Jonah Hex with Yosemite Sam. There's a photo right that I'm looking at right now of Lobo with Wiley Coyote. Yeah. Wow. And not only that, but the one that really grabbed my attention, Martian Manhunter with Marvin the Martian. I know. And they there now I can't stress this enough. As of us seeing this while we're recording, I'm sure that there'll be more information as the week goes on, but as we're seeing this, there's no information on this whatsoever. But the possibilities here and we're, of course Batman with Elmer Fudd. Come on. We're, well, right now, what we're looking at, just for we get to clear of what DC just sent us, um, we're looking at co- potential covers, pretty much. I believe these are going to be the covers. I'm putting and, these on our website, by the way. Yeah. I'll put these at downandnerdypodcast.com yeah, these, in this these, week's section. These are they're gorgeous. They're fucking absolutely gorgeous. But, I mean, Elmer Fudd Batman's, I mean, you want to talk funky? Like, how is Elmer Fudd going to fit with the whole Batman thing? Right. Like, is, is Elmer Fudd going to be going through Gotham City and, like, hunting down, like, penguins and stuff like that? Like, like be very, very quiet. I'm hunting penguins. Like, is he going to be doing that? Like, and Batman's got to stop him? What's it going to be? Uh, you'll see me Sam Jonah Hex. Makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense, given yep. the backgrounds. Uh, you know, why did Cody Lobo really intrigue me? Because in the photo... He's had like kind of like saying, "Hey, here's a you know the Roadrunner." So it was like, "Are they going to team up and go Is he after ha- the hire Lobo? He's going to hire Lobo yeah. to capture the Roadrunner finally. That yeah. would be interesting. How great would it be though if like Lobo had like found out that he had like Acme tattooed on his ass and ends up just like starts exploding randomly <laughs> in Brian Coyote's face? And then Marvin the Martian and Marvin Manhunter, which awesome seems completely too. on the nose. But, you know, like, how does he end up on that planet? And is Marvin the Martian going to have to destroy the Pew 36 space modulator and all this other stuff? I don't know. I don't it's know. It's so interesting. It's, it's it almost looks like Foghorn Leghorn is standing next to Yosemite Sam in this picture, by the way. That's Foghorn is that Leghorn? Foghorn Leghorn? I'm, I'm asking. I, I don't know. I would say maybe. It's clearly a chicken of some kind or a it rooster. It could be. It could be. Could you really imagine Jonah Hex comes in and, and here comes Foghorn Lincoln? Well, I say, I say, what are you doing here, boy? Oh, dude, but can you imagine if the chicken hawk works with Jonah Hex? Oh, that would be so great. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, like, like, I mean, this is this is awesome. And as James said, he's going to post the covers on our on our website, downnerdypodcast.com. They'll be in the I'm this gonna, week section. It's going to be in the this week section. So be sure to look at them because, oh, my God, they're gorgeous. And I think, you know, I might – Jesus, it's, it's just – my mind's blown right now. The, the way that DC – and it almost like – part of me is like, why didn't they do this before? And I know there's been some kind of crossover stuff before, but not like this. I mean, trust us, when you see these covers, these are not like – you're. we're not talking about like the Scooby-Doo version of Batman – yeah, no, we're like not. They this, timed up. this is serious stuff. Just, that's the thing is just by looking at these pictures uh, that you can see on our website again, uh, this is going to be more, you know, for example, like when we saw the whole Hanna-Barbera co- uh, comics, I didn't expect them to be, I didn't expect the Flintstones to be kind of as serious as it was. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, these are going to be, I think, as you said, serious in tone comics. These aren't going to be really playful. They're going to be really, you know, serious and they're going to be more mature i think which is pretty awesome <laughs> i mean the, the the stories that they could do with this based just on the images alone i think that there's there's really only one that i think we can really nail down and that's the the lobo wiley coyote one i think we we caps we we encapsulated that pretty well the rest of them 
I mean, oh, the, the ideas can you are imagine? there, man. Dude, can you, dude, a Duck Dodgers Green Lantern crossover. That that has to happen. Oh, it dude, Jesus. It absolutely has to happen. I mean, is Batman going to see Elmer Fudd as an assassin like Deathstroke? I I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who knows? I mean, really, who knows? Is it, it going to be like, I know it's Marvel, but like, you know, I had Craven's last hunt. It's going to be like Fudd's last hunt. <laughs> <laughs> You've terrorized that rabbit long enough. <laughs> it's over, Elmer. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's rabbit season. Swear to me, it's rabbit season. <laughs> Your season is up. Coming up next... Oh, yes, we're going to be going back to the wooded hills of Fillory as we're going to be talking to Stella Maeve, of course, plays Julia on The Magician. So she's going to be joining us to discuss season two and more. Stay tuned. This is Summer Bischel from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the hottest shows on TV right now, easily The Magicians on Sci-Fi. We know you're watching every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock, and we just happen to have Julia Wicker herself. It's Stella Maeve. Stella, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing quite well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. And a matter of fact, Julia is easily, for us, one of the most interesting characters on the show, and she's already been through so much since she didn't get into break bills last season. Now... Would you say that led her to become kind of obsessed with magic, or was it more about a childhood dream being taken away from her? Gosh, I think um, I think it was probably the latter turned into the former, right? I think she probably had all of these ideas and, and, and goals and things, and, and life, you know, kind of doesn't turn out the way you plan. And so uh, I think Julia was someone that it always turned out the way that she had planned, and this time it didn't. And uh, I think it was kind of just, you know, uh, life-changing, metaphorically and literally. Uh, and I think she, she did become a little obsessed with it. She became obsessed with this idea and, and gaining these prospects, and it drove her to, um, to a little bit of madness. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw, of course, Julia earlier this season kind of draw a line in the sand between her and Quentin when it came to allowing him to kill the Beast uh, before she could get her revenge on Reynard. So despite... It, their relationship's constant bending. What do you think keeps their bond from breaking, talking about Quentin and Julia's? You know, I think that he understands. And me and Jason, like, have talked a lot about this and we've kind of just been like, gosh, you know, because everyone's always like, isn't Quentin angry with her? And I think there's, like, this level of, like, they get frustrated with each other, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it'll never, it's like, it, it's an un, it'll never die. This bond will never end. You know, it's like, everyone's got that one friend, right. That you've been friends with like your whole life. I still have my best friend from when we were like four years old and we still talk every day. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah, Bella and Stella, it's great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) With Quentin and Julia, it's like kind of, um, it's a similar vibe in a sense of like over the years, when somebody knows you when you're younger, they know kind of who your soul is. And and even though you grow up and you mature and your ideals might change or like your views or, you know, think your opinions, all of that formulates and you, you know, you grow into adulthood, but like your soul is always kind of the same, like the essence of your soul remains, right? So I think, I think that they're connected on that kismet level, which, which never changes, you know, it's like you could go years without talking to somebody and you can kind of just pick up where you left off. They're, both kind of socially inept so i think that it's like uh, they're able to suppress 
their emotions and, and just like go on these missions. You know, it's like, oh, we don't want to talk about it. So great. Let's not. And let's go like find the bad guy and like do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's I mean, easier to sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, drawing on that, I mean, aside from the time that they're that they were in Fillory, Julia hasn't really been part of the main group's dynamic. And matter of fact, she hasn't really had the best of luck when it comes to partnerships overall, it seems so far. So with that continuing already this season, will that will we see her become more isolated, or do you think that will make actually have the opposite effect? Um, it, it's it's nice because you get to see Julia sort of interact with the other characters, and in the novels, you know, it's like it, there's there's Quinti, there's Quentin's world, and then there's like Julia's world, and then like you know, in the thir- later in the series of the novels, you get into Elliot and Margot's world, which we've kind of established this year as well with Fillory. So you know, there's always like two different storylines happening, and sometimes three, and possibly even four. And we have so many characters, but it's it's cool. We do get to see Julia interact with the other characters a lot more. You get to see a lot more Julia and Fillory, which is which is really exciting. And I, I hope to explore that further too. Time goes by. The isolation is good, though. I think for Julia, I don't. I I can't agree for Stella. <laughs> like, oh god. <laughs> but it's, so it's been nice to kind of be with the group and, and play with them, you know. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's fun to have that kind of group around you as the season progresses. And, of course, last week we saw Marina become a casualty in Julia's quest to get revenge on Reynard. So after everything that's happened last season to last week with Marina's death, where is Julia mentally right now? God, you know, as much as Marina's wasn't the kindest, uh, the warmest, Julia is still like an empathetic person. And as we saw with the shade, you know, it's like you have that option of like, here, like get rid of your empathy and be like a pseudo sociopath or like be like hang on to your humanity. And I think, you know, at this moment in time, Julia still has her humanity and she still has her empathy and she still, you know, I think that that really rocked her. I think that it's irrelevant, you know, if Marina was a good or a bad guy, if we're going to go into like the black and white zones. But I think, I think that Marina was an ally. And I think that she was somebody that Julia connected with when Julia has enough of a hard time connecting in the first place. Like, yeah. It was like really jarring. It was, like yeah. super jarring. Absolutely. I mean, I know yeah. shooting that scene was like extremely, like me and me and Casey, the, the actress who played Marina, she's lovely and wonderful. And uh, we have a lot of fun. We both come from theater backgrounds. And so we like, we, we get into it and we have a great time. And, uh, it, but it, shooting that was brutal. Cause it just, it, we both just, it felt so real for us. So we were like, Holy shit. Well, yeah. What I mean, are we doing? Well, I mean, because Marina, you know, you mentioned, you know, in a sense, she kind of takes her in after the whole thing with break bills falls through, and she teaches about head witching and stuff like that. Yeah. And then to have this thing happen last week, yeah, it's it's really kind of traumatizing, in effect, for for uh, Julia. It's just kind of like everything. Somebody asked me the other day, yesterday, in an interview, they were like, "What is like the toughest thing about playing this character?" And I'm like, or, or, or what has been the hardest thing this season? And my response was just like, it's so hard to play someone who continuously goes through like one like hit after the next yeah. of just like a yeah. series yeah. Of, fa- of unfortunate events, you know? And it's, it's like, 
you know, and when you're older, you're always like, if I knew then what I know now, and it's like, I'm like reliving through all the shit that I feel like I've learned. And yeah. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> so like, you know, metaphorically, it's like, so it's like, God damn it. You know, so it's like sucks that she has to, she just has, it, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I don't know if it's luck. I don't know if it's, you know, but she's had to endure a lot and you will see for the rest of the season too, like coming up, gonna have like a lot more to endure too which is like oh man oh wow you that's... know my heart goes out to her that's crazy we're talking to stella mave of the magicians on sci-fi hopefully you're watching every wednesday night at nine o'clock now stella we were so blown away after watching episode three this season because i i couldn't believe that everything that happened i mean most shows don't even give you that much in their season finales and you did in episode three so do you feel like this show constantly allows you to push the envelope and really make fans feel like nothing's off limits in any episode? Oh yeah, uh, for sure. John and Sarah make sure that it, yeah, anything is possible. And I'm, and I think it's, I think it's almost to the other degree of like, okay, like, oh yeah, the audience will think this has happened. Great. Let's fuck up their lives and do the complete opposite. You know what I mean? Like, let's totally like boomerang it, and then you're like, "Wait, what?" You know, as we're it was we're getting the scripts, we're reading them, we're like, "Wait a minute, no!" So yeah, totally. I think that it, anything is possible. I, I I think expect the unexpected. Well, well, speaking of things that have been unexpected this season, of course, one thing that's been unexpected this season has been The Beast is singing, and it's been well documented that Julia isn't a fan of his singing. So if the roles were reversed, Stella, what's a song you yourself would sing to no end to annoy somebody? Hmm, to intentionally annoy somebody? Oh, yes. Like, you know they don't like your singing, you're just like, I'm just going to fuck with them. <laughs> Gosh. That's so hard because it's like, I think that it just happens naturally. Like, aren't you always like humming in the show or like you start singing something and then you're like, God, like I know for a while, yeah. like, <laughs> like my, 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 my ex for the, for a while was like in the kitchen and there was like a whole two month period where he couldn't stop singing seal to my dog. <laughs> like the seal song. Like, what is that song? I forget. Kiss from a rose. But, what is it? Yes, yes, because we're a ro- or throat, thorn of a rose. What is it? Wait, what is it? Kiss from a rose. rose. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> this is going to drive me crazy. Because we sing to my dog, that's what we do. But it was like, so instead of the rose, it was Chooch, because that's my dog's name. And it was like, he just would start humming it, and then it would become like operatic, and then it would become like, and I was like, I'm going to kill some, I'm going to kill myself. Like, I think this is like the end of the road. <laughs> Choose, I can so I guess, you to a kiss from a rose. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty that's much. right. That's right. That's right. Well, it's okay. hard. It's hard for me because I've got a two-year-old at home, so I'll be driving to work singing "Bubble Guppies" or something. And I'll go, "Damn it, no, no! <laughs> what is wrong with me?" You're like, "Why am I doing this?" Yeah. Or I'll be doing like I was in the gym earlier, and I'm doing like a set of of push-ups. Also, I'm just humming "Beauty and the Beast" for some odd reason. That's all I've been listening to lately because I watched it the other night. I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> Like, why? I'm trying to think, like, what was the last song I had stuck in my head? Oh, God, you know what? I think it was, like, Taco Putting on the Wrist. Like, <laughs> oh, that was, wow. That was, like, a pretty bad moment. That is, like, <laughs> the most random Pandora moment ever. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but wow. not rich. Or maybe it was like Steve Miller, Abracadabra. That's, that's, that's a good fun. one, That's though. fun that can get again. That's a good one. Oh, and that's very apropos, too, for like the magicians. You know, <laughs> there things. you go. To bring it all back together. Hey. Now, Stella, despite what it's led to, finding out the fillery was real seemed to be a really momentary thrill for Julia when she found out. Now, what's something from your childhood or a fictional place that you would love to discover actually existed in real life? Mm, wow, this is so hard. This is so hard. Um, uh, you guys tell me yours while I think about it. Ooh. Is that fair? Yeah. See, it's a hard. That's a it's hard. hard. Right? It's, it's, like, it's it's really hard. It's really uh, difficult because you think of an answer that pops in your head, and you're like, "Wait a minute, no dinosaurs on Earth right now would probably suck." That would suck. So uh, let's exactly. not do that. I mean, yeah, let's. Oof, God. Um, I mean, you know what? I always wanted. I always wished, like, like when I was a kid, like time, to be able to time travel, and I think yeah. it's back to the '80s because my parents were. I was. I'm such a product of the 80s with the two of them and like i feel like i wanted to go back and do the wang chung dance all days with shoulder pads the nice. way they did it yeah. in new york my, like studio 54 i was like oh i want to live their life like what the way they lived like i wish i could have yeah. done that i wish i could have been at woodstock in the 60s like i wish i could have like been in, in monumental places that like usually included music yeah you know during times yeah yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to think of like a fantasy land. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to like dig into, I'm trying to dig into like my childhood. Like, like, oh, you know what mine would be? Um, the Jetsons world. I when growing up, I was a big fan of the Jetsons. So yeah. all the flying cars and the houses that were like, if you fell off the porch, you'd instantly die because you fall to your like death pretty much. Um, but I, I would say, like, I would probably say have to say say the Jetsons world for me. Yeah, have I you think... guys seen Taboo at all? No, not yet. No. Like, I don't know, it'd be kind of cool to be, like, in Tom Hardy's weird pirate world. I don't know, like, in a weird 1800 <laughs> version of, like, you know what I mean? I mean, like, I've of, seen... Of London, I don't I mean, I mean, But I've then seen... it's like, do you really want to be in London in the 1800? Right. Just like Jack the Ripper, it's I so mean, dirty, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Bronson, but I mean, no, I haven't seen Taboo. Yeah, check it out. But, yeah, but even, like, like Peaky Blinders, like, that whole... I don't know. And then I'm like, fuck, but, like, you know, the afterworld would be pretty cool. But then I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't want to live forever. I want right. to go when it's my right. time to go. Right, There's, but there's, I don't there's know. so many options, and then when you think about it, a lot of them end up sucking. So, you're right. like, wait a minute. I exactly. think I'll just stick exactly. to watching it on TV on, on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock <laughs> on Sci-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. What do you think is fans' biggest misconception about Julia going into these next few episodes after what happened last week? It's easy for people to view her as like a hurdle, as like, oh, she's selfish because she just wants to get her type of revenge and that's totally, it. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I've, I've seen the brunt of that on Twitter, too. I've seen people be really, um, really, like, unempathetic and, like, unsympathetic. Shocking. And that's, that kind of that sucks, you know, because yeah. it's like... Gosh, it's almost like not not oh this person is a victim feel bad for them, but more of like where's like your empathy, man? Because right, what I love right. with with the beast and Julia, it's like this guy is like you know he's made to be this villain, but then you realize that they both are like victims of abuse, and you kind of get to see this other side of him, and so you kind of it, it not every like it bridges the gap between like what is a hero and what is a villain, and there's kind mm -hmm. of a, like it's a gray area, right? And there's a fine right. line. I guess people's mis big misconception would be like, oh, she, she, yes, she's so selfish or she's like, she's blinded by revenge or she's driven to this derivative of, of, of wanting to like 
do things just to heal her own wounds. But like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that that's the case. And I, I do think when you are in a state of that, of, of shock and have been through so much, like wouldn't you want to just try to do whatever you could do to, to try to just like wake up in the morning, you know, and feel better. And I also think that, yeah, we all get, we all get like overruled by like selfishness and like, you know, we all get caught up in, in certain things, but like, it, it, that's just human. Like, these characters are flawed. They're humans. And I think, you know, I mean, I know that Julia loves Quentin, and I know that, I know that she's, like, has good intentions. She's not an ill-intended person. She doesn't, she's not trying to sabotage anyone. Right. I think she's just, like, trying to, like, survive, you know? Right. Well, like I said, there's that scene where she, they're at that play place with the, she is with the beast, and she's talking about, like, you know, my friends. And he goes, well, I don't think they're your friends anymore. So her yeah. heart's in the right place. It's just, you know, in a sense, she's kind of damaged. So she's just looking for a group to kind of hang on to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think she's just trying to pick up the pieces, and and, and this is like a woman who's just trying to find her way back to herself. And and you know, I, I don't think that. Yeah, nothing is intentional, and nothing is out of like malicious, like malice. Like there's no actions that's based on malice. It's all for the greater good. And and you see Quentin be selfish in moments, and it's like totally. shit, yeah. man. And then it's like you know, but it's not coming from a place of like evil intent. It's like, we all do, we all make mistakes and we all do things things that are like selfish sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's like, we we mean well, you know? And Mm -hmm. and it's like, just about recognizing that. And like, I guess hopefully, you know, and you'll get to see with Julia being able to sort of turn that around. And I mean, like she did, it's like, you know, she, she took the hit and let Katie go free. I mean, she's, she has a, a pretty, selfless person when you think about it there's oh, yeah. two sides to every coin you know the misconceptions going forward is like god how could this girl do this like how you know this woman like she's awful she's selfish she's evil she's only and it's like I, I i genuinely think in her mind she's like i just want to be able to wake up and not hate myself today like mm-hmm. let's let's try to and and stop this demon so to speak this this fox god from hurting anybody else because he's out there right now and he's raping people and he's killing them so like we've got to stop this person and the only way for us to do that is by using the beast you know and i don't think that it's i I really don't think that it's just about revenge i really think it's about prohibiting an attacker from future victims as well so so much going on every wednesday night at nine o'clock on sci-fi that's why you've got to watch every episode of season two of the magicians if you want to relive season one and why wouldn't you you can actually binge watch the whole thing right now on netflix as well it's stella mave who plays julie wicker on the magicians thank you so much for chatting with us this week thank you guys you guys are awesome so james do you know how big of a magicians fan i am and how much i really love the show go ahead how how much well, as I mentioned in the interview, you know, I was going to the gym. When I'm in the gym and I'm getting off the machines and I'm kind of like, you know, stretching my hands and stuff with my hand, I should say, and stuff like that, I'm doing like the magician's moves, like for spells and stuff. Nice. When I'm, when I'm walking nice. from machine to machine to keep my fingers loose and stuff. So, I mean, I mean why not, right? I'm not doing it like, oh, I'm just going to do I just do it like after watching, you know, these first few episodes of The Magicians for the season, which have been phenomenal, it's just natural. I'm just like, I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, you don't notice you're doing it right. until you're doing it. Right. 
and you have people look. I like people looking at me like, "What is this guy doing? He's doing like all these like Doctor Strange, and mag- you know, magicians." As that's what most people are gonna think too, right? Most people right. are like, "Oh, he must be a big Doctor Strange fan." No, damn it, we're magicians fans. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, think about it. And we love a lot of shows for a lot of different reasons, but for some reason, the magicians finds a way to be intense, to be well, funny, think- to have good storytelling right. every single week. And like I was saying in the interview. After episode three, man, I, I don't even know what's going to happen in any episode anymore. And not, no one's safe. Nothing can not – there's anything can happen at any given time. Yeah, and I think that the reason why The Magicians hits so well with people like you and I, and we see on Twitter all the fans too, is that it's we, we, we've gotten that dark take on magic. But we've never really gotten that dark take on magic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we're seeing people like – being destroyed by magic, being consumed by magic, magic dying. You know, it's just new levels that they're bringing on sci-fi. And it's just, that's why I think it's such a fun and and, such, and even like a, a serious show. Like there are shows I watch on TV that we watch every week where I'll check my phone or whatever, whatever the mis- yep. magicians are on. I sure as hell put my phone away and I stare right by TV the rest of that, that whole uh, hour it's on. Absolutely. And, and what's crazy about this show that's based about magic and fantasy worlds, there's such a level of realism to it. You know, that's the crazy thing is how they can also bring that element in. And you want to talk about a show that, that does the human element better than a lot of other shows do. I think this show does, and, and, and Stella touched on that when we were talking in the interview about how they all deal still with real-life problems and situations. Right, yeah. right. And that, that's what I like, too, is I like how, like, unlike in, in really in Harry Potter and stuff like that, The Magicians, what it does is say, yeah, there's, ma- there's magic, but it's not going to be this glorious, you know, beautiful, savoring thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, and here's how it can screw up your life. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I like about it is it's like, yes, it, magic is a glorious thing, but here's how I've done wrong can really fuck up your life. As we saw with, with Julia towards the end of the season one. I mean, Jesus Christ, that scene with Reynard when you first see him oh, was God. painful to watch. It was like, really it, hard. It's really hard. And, and to see her go from this person who in season one of, I'm trying to find myself in this world of magic. Where do I belong to? I was raped, and now I'm on this revenge war path. And you're seeing that that psyche affect her. And then you saw her when she talked to the Beast and how he was also raped and stuff like that. And it's just – it's really heavy. You know what I'm and saying? What's, like, and what's crazy is is that – think about what she was saying uh, when, when we were talking to her. She said, what can, she, what can Julia do on any given day to wake up and not hate herself? How right. deep and crazy is that? You right. know, what right. show deals with stuff like that on such that, and on such a unique level. I mean, that's why the magicians to me, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I was ex- this excited for a show to come back for a second season because I wanted more. And hopefully we get an announcement here pretty soon about a season three. Why not? Exactly. Right? Exactly, man. But, you know, we want more episodes of The Magicians. But as always, there's going to be more episodes of this podcast as this one's coming to an end right now. Again, we want to thank Stella May for coming on, talking about Sci-Fi's The Magicians, which you can watch, of course, every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sci-Fi. And again, hey, find more of us on social media. Be sure to hit us up, Down Nerdy Podcast. Dot com. It has all our links to our Facebook. Of course, on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash down and nerdy. On Twitter, we're at down and nerdy 757. I'm at Merck with one arm on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch. James, where can they find you? 
And I'm at James Ace Witham, W-I-T-H-A-M. And if you want to own Season 2 of The Magicians on Amazon Instant, we'll have a link on our This Week section at downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, this past week's episode. And just follow along with the show, man. Not just our show, but that show, because it's going to be a hell of a ride. And hey, what what a 150th episode, right? Oh, man, I couldn't have asked for anything better. I mean, it was just so much fun, you know, talking to, to Stella and just all the great things we learned about the show and herself. It's, it's just fun. It's really, really, really fun. But as always, folks, we'll see you next week. And as always, practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics. And also, beware of certain beasts that may lay around the corner.